Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here. I just want to remind you that if you love the podcast, the best way to support the show is by leaving it a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Actually, Spotify just started accepting ratings. So go ahead and rate it on there and tell all your friends to do it because it's super simple. It takes literally one second. I mean, maybe four seconds, but it's really quick. And uh, another great way to support the show is by sharing it with a friend or posting about it on social media. If you do post it on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. And remember to tag the guests too, so they can also share. Okay, now let's get to the show. Do you ever find it difficult to make time to do the things you love outside of the things you have to do? Does creating a schedule cause you anxiety? Do you feel like you have to finish each task every single day in order to not fail your week? Today's guest is a time management expert who will share nine easy to follow tips to calm your schedule down and help you find the time to live a life you truly love. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim your right to creativity, take fear out of the driver's seat, and love and trust yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. On the show, we explore the creative process and journey, mental health, self-development, spirituality, and everything it means to be a human and become more human. Today's guest is Laura Vanderkam. She's an author, speaker, and productivity expert, best known for her wildly popular TED Talk, which has been viewed over 7.4 million times, for hosting the Do It By Breakfast podcast and co-hosting the Best of Both Worlds podcast, and for authoring several books, including The New Corner Office, I Know How She Does It, What Most Successful Do Before Breakfast, and more. Her most recent book, Tranquility by Tuesday, is out October 11th and teaches readers to think about time strategically by creating a resilient, not perfect schedule. That's what we're talking about today. Oh, and she's also a married mother of five children, so you best believe her time management methods work. Laura's work has appeared in publications such as the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, the Today Show, CBS This Morning, and more. Laura's studied time almost like no one else. She's tracked her schedule minute by minute on weekly spreadsheets for seven and a half years. She studied her own schedule this way and time in this way for herself and for many others to find out how we really spend our time despite what we might think or say and how we can spend it better so we can live a life we love. In today's conversation, you'll learn why we all need a bedtime, how to create a habit in just three days, why creating a schedule and tracking it can help you get rid of the things you don't like and add the things you love, why making a list of your wildest dreams is important, why adventure is crucial to living a fulfilled life and how to make space for it, and so much more. Now here she is, Laura Vanderkam. Okay, Laura, I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Unleash and thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure and my honor. You're coming on the show at a really interesting time because if I had gotten this pitch, maybe even like a few months ago, I would have been like, oh God, productivity, like another thing that's just going to make us feel more stressed out and more guilty. But then, I mean, first of all, that's not even your thing. I also had this interesting thing happen to me recently where I always resented the mornings and I thought morning people were lying or crazy, 
But then I went to Europe for two weeks because that had been a lifelong dream and I got to go to Italy and I came back and I was on a bizarre schedule that made me go to bed at seven and wake up at 4.30. And I was like, oh, this is what people have been talking about. So I'm literally going to be doing a podcast in the next few weeks called The Merit of the Mornings for the Creative. Uh which I know is one of your passions in life. But also what I love about you and the way you view productivity and time management is that it's really more of a heart-centered thing. You say if we build the lives we want, then time saves itself. Can you explain what you mean by that and what your philosophy is on time management and productivity? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times when we think of time management and productivity, it's it's about a couple of things. I mean, one is it's shaving bits of time off everyday activities through bizarre hacks that, you know, are, are going to save like three minutes over yeah. the course of the day as if this is suddenly going to help us build amazing lives. Or otherwise, it feels like we're trying to cram more stuff that we don't want to do into the day. And neither of those really sound all that appealing. Like, I, I don't feel like those are really going to move the needle on happiness much. So my position is that time is precious. Mm -hmm. um, but time is also plentiful in the sense that there truly is enough time for the things that we want to do, particularly if we start from the perspective of the things that we want to do, the things that we want to have in our lives. And if we have the courage to put those things in and then just let the pieces of everything else fall where they may. Yeah. And you share a shocking number. There's 168 hours in the week. Wow. You have this incredible TED Talk where you go through basically like, even if you work 40 hours, this is how many hours you have. If you work 50, this is how many you have. And then you also share that like most people grossly overestimate how much time they work, which is very funny too. But it really puts things into perspective. And I know that you study people's time. Like people will tell you their full schedule and what they do. Like what made you want to get into studying, writing, and speaking about productivity and time management? Why is it your passion? Well, I think what's most interesting about it is that everybody has the same amount of time. Like everybody has 24 hours in a day. Everybody has 168 hours in a week. So when you find people who are doing amazing things with their lives, I mean, both professionally, personally, the truth is that they don't have any more time than the rest of us. I mean, I'm not saying they don't have other things going for them. They may be, you know, smarter or better looking than the rest of us, but they don't have more time. So I think there's a lot we could learn from these people about how they allocate their hours. And mm -hmm. so I have spent my life studying people's schedules. Um, a lot of people, thousands of people at this point have been willing to share time logs with me. I have people keep track of time for a week and send me the results. It's just fascinating how we all use the exact same building blocks to create very different lives. What's the biggest through line you've learned from studying people's schedules? What's the biggest thing that you've learned from that? Well, in order to spend time well, I mean, there's many, many ways people can spend time, but to spend time well, you have to think about how you want to spend your time. And the crazy thing about time is that it keeps passing no matter what you do. Mm. There is nothing you can do to slow it down. There is nothing you can do to stop it. But because of that, you know, if you think like analogy with money, it's as if all your money was gone at the end of every day and then you got some ch chunk and then it was all gone again at the end of every day. I mean, it's just, you can't save it from one to the next. And it's the same, you know, that's, that's what time is like. And so because of that, you need to think about how you want to spend your time before you encounter it. Mm. But if you do that, you have a much better chance of directing what is in effect a swiftly moving river 
in the way that you wish it to go. But if you don't think about it, it will keep happening to you. Like stuff will keep happening. The next 168 hours will be filled with something. But if you think about it, those 168 hours can, in fact, largely be filled with what you want them to be filled with. And that's a very powerful realization. So how can we start studying our own schedules and then planning them more effectively? Like, do you actually keep a literal log? Do you keep a diary? Like, what's the best way to go about studying your schedule to see how you're spending your time and then reallocating it? Yeah, I do, in fact, track my time. I have tracked my time on weekly spreadsheets for seven and a half years now. Wow. Yes. So I I know how I've spent every half hour of my time for the last seven and a half years. And I know that makes me sound a wee bit crazy, but you know, keep in mind, I do this professionally. It's (laughs) it's, it's a work-related thing. Nobody else needs to do that. But I would suggest tracking your time for a week. And the reason to track your time for a week, as opposed to like a typical day, whatever you think of a typical day is, is that we don't actually live our lives in days. I mean, Tuesday and Saturday are both days and they both occur just as often, but your life probably looks very different on those two days. And so by keeping track of a whole week, you can see, you know, what your life truly looks like, you know, working days, but not working days, you know, people are like, well, it wasn't a typical week. Well, it was never a typical week, but we see what time truly looks like in our lives. I mean, most of the time, if something is important to you, you will have done it in the past week. And if something is not important to you, probably aren't finding a whole lot of spot for it. So track your time for a week, look at it, not from a perspective of judgment. Like this is not about playing gotcha. Like, Ooh, look, you think you're so busy and I see you watch TV, you know, like (laughs) who cares, right? It's not about that. It's about seeing, you know, am I spending time on the things I wish to be spending time on? And if I am great, like we should celebrate whatever is going right in your life, there's probably something that's going amazing and we should celebrate that. We can ask ourselves what we want to spend more time doing and we can ask ourselves what we want to spend less time doing. And by tracking time and asking those questions, then we have sort of our marching orders as we're figuring out how to spend time moving forward. So we're going to get into that. And you've got this incredible book called Tranquility by Tuesday that has nine rules that can help you very effectively replan your whole schedule. And I love that. I want you to join this very informal study I'm doing on my show, not like the research you do, very informal, but I'm not a mother yet. And coming into the show, I had some really interesting preconceived notions about what it meant to be a mother and what you had to have done in your life before you're a mom. And slowly but surely, every single mother I've ever had on this show has had their greatest career success post-child or post-children. And it's really changed my idea of what I quote unquote have to get done before I become a mom because I realize your children can become your driver, your greatest inspiration, your why. And also you don't have the time like you used to to like screw around and waste watching three hours of television because now you've got a little baby to feed and take care of. So anyway, long story short, this preamble is to ask you, has that also been the case for you and how have children played into how you spend your time and spending your time wisely? Well, definitely. I would say that my career has been better after children than before. I have five children. This is actually a point close to my heart, which is that women 
shouldn't think that they, the time when we can, in fact, have babies is usually our 20s and 30s. Um, You know, you might get lucky in 40s, but like mostly it's 20s and 30s. And so if people are told that like, oh, you have to hit huge career milestones before having your babies, well, you know, it's hard to hit those in your 20s and 30s necessarily. And so then you feel like you have to choose one or the other. I think, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to choose, like you can have both. And my kids have given me a lot more to write about. They have made me more aware of my time. And just on a practical level, it turns out that having five children is a good data point to convince people that you are a time management expert. So, you know, I could trot that out in the the branding material. (laughs) It is. It's very compelling. It really, really is. I mean, it's a great plot point in your story. And like, I'm curious, too, as a mother, like, how do you advise them on their time? My children? Yeah. Well, that's just, you know. Do you track them? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't track them. I do not track them. And as any of your listeners with like teens and preteens know, like, you know, whatever you're telling them is kind of... (laughs) In one Not out necessarily going to be what, but that they want to do. <laughs> or, you know, I've heard stories of like movie stars, you know, with their children, their kids think they're just so incredibly uncool. <laughs> it's like everyone else thinks you're amazing, but they think you are uncool. But I try to share whatever knowledge I have. Like if you have a long-term project, you know, needing to break it down into smaller pieces and keep yourself on a schedule of, you know, what percent needs to be done by a certain time. So for instance, this summer, one of my children was taking an online course that needed to be done over the course of eight weeks. And it would be possible to decide to do it all in the last week, but that would not be very smart because it was sort of going to take two, three hours a day, at least over eight weeks. And so doing it all in the last week would have been a bit of a bad idea. And so, you know, (laughs) you have this discussion of like, well, where should you be at the end of week one? Where should you be at the end of week two? And at the midway point, oh, perhaps at 50% (laughs) or ahead of that. So you just sort of have these conversations and talk about how you allocate your time. Like, why am I doing this now versus this? Like what things do mommy and daddy have to build into our lives? Like if we can't do X, Y, or Z right now, what's the reason? And maybe we can do it at another time if something else happens. So, you know, you just try to keep those lines of communication open and share what you can. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be incredibly helpful. And for me, like my upbringing, I loved it, but it was kind of a free for all, which I think is why I have this aversion to like rules and creating structure And which is why methods like this in the past have really not worked for me. But when you reframed it where it's not about creating rules and structure, but it's more about giving you back your life and giving you back your time, it totally changed my mind. So let's get into this book, Tranquility by Tuesday. Tell me how it began and then we're going to get into the rules. Yeah. So Tranquility by Tuesday began with me trying to pull together kind of my greatest hits of my time management rules. So I've given, you know, tons of people time management advice over the years. They come to me with a problem and I say, well, you should try to do this. And so after a while, I was like, well, what do I keep saying? Like, I've told like a hundred people in a row that they need to get a hobby or something like, (laughs) or, you know, that you need to go to bed. Like, so I'm going to look at this and see what rules am I saying most often and what are people reacting to and finding most helpful. And so I honed this down to nine rules that I felt I was giving most often as time management advice. And then I decided to have people try these rules out systematically because I write self-help for very busy people. And so if I'm going to recommend something, I want to know for sure that it's going to be helpful. Like, I don't want to waste your time. 
So I recruited 150 people to try out these rules over the course of nine weeks. So I collected all this data at the beginning. I would have them learn a different rule each week. They would learn the rule. They would answer questions about how they plan to implement it in their lives. And then I would check back a week later and they would answer questions about how they had implemented it in their lives. I did various surveys through the course of the nine weeks, asking people how they were feeling about their time on different dimensions. And then at the end of the nine weeks, I could see, you know, what changed. What was people's lives like? You know, did they feel better about their time? And, you know, spoiler alert, they did. (laughs) It works, baby. It works. So we have the book, Tranquility by Tuesday, which is a write-up of this time satisfaction study and contains, you know, a ton of data about my participants and a bunch of stories from the participants as well about how different rules worked in their lives. And why by Tuesday? (laughs) Well, you know, I guess it could have been thriving by Thursday or wellness by Wednesday. Well, I like Tuesday because I actually think it's a pretty tough day to get through. You know, you're not halfway through the week. It's just after Monday. Like you're sandwiched in between Monday and Wednesday. It's not the best place to be. So if you can feel tranquil that day, I think that's saying something. Yeah, well, I mean, it is the most normal day of the week. Yeah. uh, Is what I would think of it because Monday comes with its own baggage. And, you know, Friday, it's like, ooh, TJIF and weekends (laughs) aren't typical. I'm talking about a normal day. Like, I'm not saying you're going to be tranquil on the weekend or tranquil while you're taking a vacation or on Friday night or something. I, I want you to feel good about life on Tuesday. And for that to happen, Rules have to work within the context of your daily life. So that is what I promise with these rules. Like if you do these, if you implement them in your life, you will in fact feel better about your life on Tuesday. Yeah. Waiting for weekends, not waiting for some future time that might be better. It's just in the day to day of your normal life. Yeah. And most of life is a metaphorical Tuesday. It's not the vacations. It's not the wild experiences. Most of life is normal, but like, how do you make that normal still joyful or tranquil or whatever it is that you want to feel? So a lot of creative people, I think, kind of come from a similar camp to how at least I used to be, or like I'm transitioning into thinking, okay, maybe this structure thing could be not so bad for me. Maybe it could actually be great. But It's hard for some people because I think that there's a a thought that if you're super creative, you're all over the place and wild and weird and you don't have structure. But what I found from reading your book and just as I've experimented with this more in my life is that structure can liberate and structure can bring actually more expansion. Can you share how you found that to be like how have rules given you and the people you study more space to be themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think that the real magic happens when you have people who are wildly creative and who are also incredibly disciplined. Because you can have the best ideas in the world, but if you don't bring them to fruition, it doesn't matter. They're just ideas. Like they don't exist. Like they may be perfect in your head, but until they exist in the real world as something that is out there for people to experience, then it's nothing right? You know, we judge creative people ultimately by their output. Mm -hmm. And so you have to do the output. You have to put your butt in the chair and write whatever you're writing or compose whatever music you're doing or paint your paintings or whatever it is that you do. And having the time and mental space to do that involves organizing your life to protect that energy and to create enough time for you to do that. And also to create the space in your life 
for the ideas to come as well. And I think one of the things you were, you were mentioning earlier, worrying like, you know, do I need to do these things and hit these career goals before I have children? I mean, one of the reasons people get trapped up in this is because once you have kids, you sort of have some less discretionary time. You still have some. Right. I mean, people are always like, oh, moms have no free time, whatsoever. It's not true. They have some. Yeah. But it's not as much as you would have had otherwise. And so in order to still have the mental space to be creative and to keep the other details of life from overwhelming you and, you know, putting your creative energy into, you know, trying to sort out the carpool schedule. I mean, that, that's <laughs> what happens to people if they're not careful. You need to have good rules in your life so that your life functions, mm -hmm. so that you can preserve that brain space for creative work. But if you do, you can definitely create some great stuff, you know, with little ones in tow. Absolutely. And these rules, they set you up for that. I mean, so let's go through them. Give yourself a bedtime, plan on Fridays, move by 3 p.m., three times a week is a habit, create a backup slot, one big adventure, one little adventure. I love that one. Take one night for you, batch little things, and effortful before effortless. So let's get into this bedtime piece because this is something <laughs> I've always struggled with. And again, like since I've been back from Europe, I've kind of been keeping it and I'm like, okay, there's something to this. Like, you know, for the first time, I didn't even have a bedtime when I was a child. So this is like a very, very new thing for me. But tell me, why is it that a bedtime is so important to reclaiming your time? Yeah, because our bodies need sleep. And most of our bodies have a set point of how much sleep we need. I can tell you that I need 7.4 hours per day because I'm the freak who's tracked my time for seven years. So I know that now, yeah. right? Most people do not have quite as good a handle on that because they haven't done this, but you know, you kind of get a sense, right? Like if I sleep for eight hours, I feel really rested. Whereas if I sleep for seven, I don't, or maybe it's that, you know, you need seven and other people need nine. I mean, you just, you can sort of get a sense over time of what is your happy number. And then life functions best when you get that number every single night. And unfortunately, a way a lot of people function is they go on the equivalent of one of those drop tower carnival rides, right? Like you <laughs> overshoot one day, you undershoot another, like you stay up really late one night and you have to be up for work the next morning. And so you're exhausted in the next night, you crash on the couch and then you sleep through your alarm. And then the next night, you know, you woke up late, so you're not that tired at night. And so you stay up late again. And it's just, you overshoot and undershoot in a way that either leaves you exhausted or leaves you unable to maintain good routines. Like, cause you know, if you're sh sleeping through your alarm, you're like not able to do whatever you plan to do in the morning. Or if you're crashing on the couch at night, you're probably not using that time for sort of higher quality leisure activities, like, you know, painting or reading or, you know, talking with your partner or anything like that. So you want to be able to maintain good habits. And that starts with being in control of your time and getting the same amount of sleep every single night is what allows you to do that. Most adults can't move their wake up time that much. You know, a lot of people, if you have a job, if you have a family, there's a time you have to get up to make all that happen, right? That number can't really move at least during the week. So the only number that can move is the time you go to bed. And so if you figure out that, let's say you need seven hours of sleep and you need to be up at 6.30 in this morning, that suggests that your bedtime is 11.30 PM. Like that is just a math problem. Like it's not about a judgment of like what kind of person you are or what bedtime you need to have. No, it's, it's just math. So figure out what your bedtime is. Give yourself 30 minutes or so to wind down before that. So, you know, you're aiming for bed at that point. And if you do this more nights than not, your energy will be off 
the charts. Like I can absolutely promise people that your energy levels will rise to a significant degree if you start doing this. So energy is probably the biggest change you saw. Is there any other unexpected change that you saw in people who started making a consistent bedtime, consistent wake up time? There is, which is that they have a better sense of how big a day truly is. Because most of us know that a day begins at some point, like you wake up at some point, that is the beginning of the day. We understand that concept. We are a little bit fuzzier on the notion that a day has an end, right? Like we don't think of exactly when that is, but when you have a bedtime, that is the end of the day. And now you know exactly how many hours a day contains. And when you know that, you can start making more mindful choices about how you intend to use the, I don't know, 16, 17, however many hours it is for you that you are awake each day. But by knowing the contours of a day, you can start creating something that looks how you wish it to look. And then just because I've recently, literally in the last three weeks, discovered that the morning is a beautiful time, since you are a morning ally and advocate, can you tell me about what the merits of the morning are for you? Well, it's not that there's anything inherently more noble about using morning (laughs) hours than anything else. And if somebody is a committed night owl and knows that about themselves, that's great. And if you can set your life up to accommodate that, that's awesome. But the issue is that for many people, if you have responsibilities at work, if you have family responsibilities, all of those kind of stack up during the day at the same time that your energy is being depleted. And so if people are like, well, I'll use the time at the end of the day for whatever high quality thing I want to do for myself, you know, if it's exercise, if it's creative work, you know, anything like that, you get to the end of the day, you don't have any energy left over or somebody needs something and you don't get to it. Whereas if you get up and do it, it's done. And that's time you can often have to yourself before everybody else needs a piece of you. Most people, not everybody, but most people tend to have more energy in the morning. So it makes it a better time for doing anything that is difficult, like writing a draft of something or creating the initial draft of anything. You know, it's easier to do in the morning than it is later in the day. Now, you might be able to do other parts of it later in the day, like editing or, you know, altering things in some ways. But seizing that early morning time can make you feel not only like you have more focus and discipline for doing it, but when you have a victory first thing in the morning, you you start the day on top of the world. Yeah. And the thing for me that I didn't realize is I was waking up and going right into my day. So automatically waking up and then whatever anyone else needed for me, they were just taking it out of me. What I like about the morning now is that I get to do something that's just for myself before anyone else gets to touch me, see me, talk to me, you know, like it's just me. It's a time for me to remember who I am. And so that's why I think it's powerful. Like whatever the morning is to you, maybe if you're the person who has like the luxury of having like a weird schedule, morning could be 12 PM, but like just having like an hour or two before you start your day, that's just for you is so powerful. Oh, I totally agree. It's hard to get everyone into bed around here. I've realized I can wake up probably around 6.30. I try to be in bed at 11. I mean, I often pop up awake at 6.24 because that 7.4 hour thing is, you know, pretty intense. But I've been, you know, running for half an hour in the morning and then trying to enjoy a quiet cup of coffee before getting everyone moving for camp. So it's, it's nice to still have some amount of time. You know, it's not an endless amount of time. I mean, in my perfect world, I might be up for like two hours before anyone is stirring. But at the moment, that's not really feasible. But it is real great to still have, 
you know, 40 minutes. Yeah, it's something like just having a little bit of a barrier between you and the world gives you a foundation. And I think for me, at least it's made me happier the rest of the day. Oh, definitely. So plan on Fridays. This one is each Friday you give yourself 20 minutes to think about the upcoming Monday through Sunday, which I was so happy you said Monday through Sunday because I'm sorry, but Sunday is not the start of the week. It's just not. <laughs> no, most yeah. people don't operate that way. Yeah, Monday Monday is when we're going. That's yeah. The time. So let's talk about this. And you say split it into career relationships and self. Could you give some examples of what these kind of goals could be and like about how many we're aiming to set at this time? Yeah. So planning on Fridays is really about thinking about the upcoming week with a focus on what is important and not just what is happening. I mean, a lot of people already have, you know, calendars and planners and everything else that they're keeping track of, you know, who needs to go where and what happens to happen when. And that's great. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't have that, but I want you to really think about what is most important for you to accomplish over the coming week. And the reason to put it in three categories, career, relationships, and self, is that by making a three-category list, you are going to put something in each of those three categories. Like our brains don't work that way. Like, oh, let me make a three category list and then leave one of the categories blank. Like you're like, no, 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 I got to put something in all three categories. So that right there can help people have a much more balanced life. So in the career front, maybe it's that you are researching a new client, right? That you really want to reach out to someone and get a new client on the books by the end of the year. So, you know, you're going to carve out time for doing some research on who is in the space, who you know, all that sort of thing. On the relationship front, Maybe you've got a friend who you know is going through a really tough time. It is always easier not to call that person, but you are going to do it because you value, you know, being that sounding board for the person who, who's having the rough time. So you make sure that that happens in the upcoming week. Maybe on the personal front, you're trying to read a certain number of great books by the end of the year, let's say. And so you're reading your way through, I don't know, middle March. Like your goal <laughs> for the week is to read 100 pages in middle March. And so you look and say, well, when can I do that? I'm going to read, you know, 30 minutes at night before I go to bed and do that for a couple of nights that it works and make it through that. But those might be some examples of priority things for you. Now, none of those are things that like absolutely have to happen. And that, that I find that that's actually a good way hmm. to think about this. Because, you know, you got productive people listening to this. They do the stuff they have to do. Like you, your boss is giving you a big deadline. You're going to meet it. Like you don't have to think about like, ooh, am I going to do that? Should I? Mm, interesting. Like you're going to because you're that kind of person. But you probably won't be doing the stuff that you don't have to do. And so this is a really right. good time to identify those things and make sure that they do happen. So it's like a wish list of things that would be really good for you to happen. And how many are we doing? Like, oh, we let's just... let's not call it a wish list. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Bad terminology. That, that you aren't going to do it. So then, what is it? <laughs> so it's to do, but it's, it's not. To do. It's not. It's have to do. Well, it's that you truly want to do it. Okay. And you are going to hold yourself to it because it is basically a contract with yourself. And then are you actually writing this down on your calendar? You're like, yeah, okay, sure. okay. And so when you say you're going to plan out your week, do you write every single thing you're going to do? Like, even if it's, I'm going to plant flowers for three hours on Tuesday at 3 p.m. Well, if it was something that I had identified as being important for the upcoming week, because, you know, I was excited to have new flowers to look at out the window or something, then sure. Yes, I would put it on the list. You know, I tend to have a lot of recurring projects. So my planning process is that I identify what, you know, is coming up in the week that's really important or that I want to put in as making progress toward various different goals. I also list, you know, in the projects that I have or are coming up, what I would like to do or need to do in those. So, you know, we start with the things that we 
are going to hold ourselves to, but that are important, but not urgent. Then we talk about the things that are necessary that we do want to make sure happen in the upcoming week. And then you can sort of triage everything else. I mean, if there's space for more stuff, great. But, you know, often there isn't by that point. So, you know, and life happens, like things come up that you couldn't have seen at the beginning. So, you know, you got to leave space for that. And then I thought this was really interesting. You said, make a list of 100 dreams. Tell me about this exercise and why it's helpful for starting to come up with ideas for your Friday list. Yeah. So a lot of times people assume they have no time, so they don't even think about what they want to do with their time. But the list of 100 dreams is a completely unedited list of anything you might want to spend your time doing. So things that you want to accomplish that will take time. So, you know, basic goals or just things in general that you want to spend more time doing. And by getting to 100, you really got to keep thinking. Like most people, you're like, oh, it's a bucket list. Okay, you start making a bucket list and tell me how many items you put on there. Like most people run out of steam after like 20 because they put the 20 countries they want to visit and then they forget what else (laughs) there is. Um, Going all the way to 100 is tough, but that is the point because you are really starting to think about anything that you might want to have in your life. And this is not something you are holding yourself to. This Mm, is not like the Friday list. This is like anything, you know, so you never sung before. You can put singing Carnegie Hall. I don't care. Like, we'll put what you want to do. But once you have this list, you can start thinking of like, oh, well, what of this might I want to put in my life in the next week? Like, oh, yeah, I really do want to go for a long bike ride somewhere. Hey, you know, it doesn't fit this week, but as I look at my calendar a week or two ahead, there's some open space on a Saturday. Let me make sure I make plans to do it. I love that. And then one other thing I think we should note is that you said in the book, like, do this week by week. Don't necessarily try to like take all of these rules on at one time. And I think that's really helpful too, because it can feel overwhelming to think, okay, I have to figure out how to get my bedtime going and then, you know, make my to-do list for the next week. But if you only have to do one at a time, it's much easier to incorporate them and then they become a normal part of your life. Yeah, I want people to build these as habits. And so there's a reason for the order in the book. You know, bedtime comes first because once you start getting enough sleep, like you have the wherewithal to do everything else that I am asking you to do. When you start planning your weeks on Friday, then you know the contours of your week and you can start thinking about where some of these other things can happen that, you know, we're going to learn about later in the book. But yeah, if you tried to do all nine right at the same time, I mean, it might be overwhelming. It might be kind of difficult to pull off. But if you add one uh, each week at a time, you could probably make all nine happen and then have them all be sort of regular habits. Yeah. And speaking of which, move by 3 p.m. So this one was really interesting. Do some sort of physical activity for at least 10 minutes in the first half of every single day. I'm so curious, why is this number three on your list? Like, why is movement and by this time so crucial to finding a good life? Well, partly it's just about energy, which is that, you know, there is pretty good research that even moving for just a couple minutes can boost people's self-perceived energy levels, like by a tremendous amount. You know, people think like, oh, I'm, I have no energy to do anything. And then they go walk briskly outside for 10 minutes and suddenly the world is an entirely different place. I mean, it, it's it's almost magical. Like I, I, I joke about it with people. It's like, we have this reset button in our days and, you know, people don't necessarily realize it, but once they do, it's just like, Ooh, I've got this magic thing I can do and I will come back feeling better. So it's kind of, people spend a lot of time and money trying to make themselves happier. And this is something that we actually know does work. So getting some amount of physical activity, 
But by 3 p.m., I am making people think about where they can do it. I make people think through their days and where you can force in a little break in our you know, pretty sedentary society to think this through and be like, where can I get up and do some activity in the first half of the day? You have to think through your day. You have to think through what it looks like. You have to think through what you're doing with all your hours and look at it and you know, make a plan, like a general surveying the battlefield. And that mindset is everything. Like, so the fact that you can, you know, do it for exercise, like that boost your energy, that's great. But being able to force 10 minutes of something into any day is the mindset of I am in charge of my time and I can look at it and I can figure out where I can do something and I can make it happen. So would you say it's best to do this at the same time every day? Doesn't it doesn't matter. have to be. I mean, if it works for you, awesome. It's just a lot of people, given that I'm saying every single day, it can't be at the same time because most people's lives don't look the same every single day. But by looking at each day and seeing where you think it could probably happen, you develop the discipline of being aware of your hours and making sure that things do fit when you want them to fit. Okay. And then next three times a week is a habit. I actually really love this one. Aiming to do something daily can be challenging for many things. These are your words, obviously. (laughs) Aiming to do something daily can be challenging for many things. Daily isn't necessary. Anything that happens three times a week counts as happening regularly or a habit. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I want people to move every single day. I want you to get 10 minutes of physical activity. There's some things like brushing our teeth that are probably best done daily as well. Um, (laughs) But for a great many things in life, they don't have to be daily. Like they don't. And what happens is that people have things they want to do in their lives. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that they are doing them some, but they are not doing them as much as they want. And the problem is if they think they should be daily, it often sets people up in this defeatist mindset. Like for instance, if you want to play the piano and you're like, oh, I should play the piano. And every day I get to the end of the day and I haven't played the piano because it was a busy day. Imagine that. You just feel like I have no time for anything. And we start telling ourselves like, none, I'm doing it none. But for many things, people look at it and see, well, I'm doing it some. I mean, maybe not playing the piano if you don't own a piano, but like like something that you're doing, you know, like family meals, like people are like, oh, we never eat dinner together. And then you look at your week. Maybe you track your time. You say like, actually, we did eat together once. Okay. Well, once is not none. Once is not as much as you want, but once is not none. And so can we scale this up to three times a week? Because I say that anything that happens three times a week can be part of your identity. So if you're Mm. eating dinner as a family once, maybe you find two other family meals that work in the course of the week. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, Tuesday night dinner. Maybe it's a Saturday morning pancake breakfast and you all grab sandwiches together on Sunday night. I don't know. But now you are the kind of family that eats together. It happens three times a week. It is a habit. And this is just such an important mindset shift because It allows us to adopt whatever kind of hoped for identity we want now. Like we don't have to hold out for some sort of perfect life. We don't have to say like, oh, it just can't happen because I, you know, do X, Y, or Z, or my life doesn't look the same day to day. You look at the whole of the week, you figure out if it can happen three times. And it probably doesn't even have to happen that much for three times. Something like practicing the piano. Can you practice for 15 minutes three times a week? And if you can, now you are a piano player. Like you are somebody who plays the piano, right? Like that is part of your identity. And so people, you know, who try this rule out often 
find out that they are whatever. They are runners. They are families who eat together. They are people who play the piano. They are people who pray regularly or who, you know, write regularly or people who, you know, visit a loved one regularly. And it doesn't have to happen at the same time every single day. Yeah. And I feel like that's so important because a lot of times, especially people who have creative passions can get into this feedback loop where there's all this guilt and shame because like you said, we're not doing it enough. But if you just spend even 10 minutes, three times a week doing the thing that you love the most, you're the thing, right? Because you're doing it. So I feel like this one maybe affected me the most out of all of them. I've been beating myself up because I haven't been warming up vocally enough. But last week I did do it three times in the mornings. So it just kind of took this layer of shame off of that for me. And now I feel like, okay, it's a habit. It's not an everyday habit, but it's something I am doing. Yeah. And and I think that's really very powerful because it also motivates us to do it a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, if we're aiming for daily, it won't happen. And so then we feel defeated. But if we're doing it once or twice a week and we just have to get to three, well, hey, you know, that's so doable. Like it's, it's just an, a very feasible goal. And when people feel that they're already have a couple punches on their card, like they just need one or two more, then they're motivated to do it. Yeah. I love that one so much. So, okay. Create a backup slot. This one is getting in the habit of leaving a part of your schedule open regularly. I like this one for a lot of reasons, but one, I think it really would help you set boundaries because, you know, tell me if I have this straight. So let's say I have my backup slot 6 p.m. on Wednesdays for an hour. If somebody asked me to do something that day, am I saying no because I'm busy? You could. Okay. Well, if you don't want to do it, you should say no anyway. Yeah. Um (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'll just put that out there. I mean, obviously, if it's like your best friend, something you really want to do, like, please, you know, use that slot. The point is uh, to, to have a good life. But I want people to leave open space because anyone can create a perfect schedule. The real time management masters create a resilient schedule, Mm. which is a schedule that allows you to continue to make progress on your goals even when life doesn't go as planned. Because all the time people are like, oh, well, I was going to do that thing. And then something came up, right? It's like, well, guess what? Something always comes up. That is the nature of life. Nobody is promised a perfect life. Like maybe if you set your schedule for the week and everything goes exactly as planned, like we can frame your schedule and like, you know, put it on a <laughs> gold mount somewhere. You get a gold star. It does not happen. It never, ever happens. And so we just need to be prepared for that reality because you don't know necessarily what is going to affect your schedule, but something will come up. Could be good stuff, could be bad stuff, probably a little bit of both because that's just life. So, but by building an extra space, a couple of things happen. One is that when something does come up, if it displaces a priority, now you have a spot to reschedule the priority. So if you are planning to do your vocal warmups on, you know, Wednesday morning for what, 30 minutes or so, and then something happens, like your roof springs a leak and you've got to deal with it and you're dealing with the plumber. And so you're not singing while he's there. I don't know. You've got a spot to reschedule it. Like Friday morning is also open and that's when you put it to. When stuff comes up, it can be rescheduled. Or, you know, if things run over, if they take longer than you planned, like you can still do them and you don't have to borrow time from the next week, Mm -hmm. which is going to have crises of its own. This is how, when we set our goals for the upcoming week, we can be pretty sure they'll happen. 
because you say, I, well, I was going to do, you know, brainstorm the stuff about the new client on Tuesday morning. And then we had a crisis with something else, but I have time on Friday morning. So I'm still going to do it. And I know I still can do it, even though life has happened. And I love this too, because you had a part of this chapter called perfection isn't possible, but progress is. How does perfectionism inhibit our productivity abilities? Well, I think a lot of people want life to be perfect. And when it isn't, we get hung up about it. And so, you know, we're not like thinking, oh, you know, if I I was going to do X every single day and then I don't. I mean, it feeds into the whole three times a week as a habit chapter, too, because I think a lot of people, and especially those with creative aspirations, tell themselves like, oh, I can't do it every single day. And if I can't do it every single day, then I can't do it. And therefore, it's not my fault that I'm not doing it. And so you can hold on to these perfect ideas in your head, you know, the perfect novel in your head that you're not writing, as opposed to sitting down and writing for 30 minutes, three times a week when you are going to crank out total crap, mm-hmm. but it will get better. Yeah. Like, you know, once it's there, then you can make it better. Whereas if it's in your head, maybe theoretically it's perfect, but if it doesn't exist, it by definition isn't perfect because existence is a prerequisite for any sort of perfection, right? So I think that's where this all comes into play. Yeah. And I feel like there's a good element of fear of failure there too, because if you're never putting anything out, if you're never sharing anything with the world, you know, you never have to fail, as you said. And it's interesting that like kind of all these things like procrastination, perfectionism, fear of failure, they're all tied up in the same world. And it's interesting how when you do start reclaiming your time and being more strategic about it, it alleviates a lot of those things. Yeah. I mean, we're not aiming for perfection. We're aiming for putting some stuff in our life, making space for it. And then as we continue to make space for it, we can improve at our craft. And when we know we have space for our priorities, because we have carved out backup slots to make sure (laughs) that it does happen, then we start to become more sure that it will happen. And then we start to sort of mentally get in the mood of like, oh, well, this is the time for it to happen. And then we start getting better at it. And that that's how you truly improve. Okay. One big adventure, one little adventure. Each week, you have to aim to plan one larger adventure and one smaller adventure into your schedule. This one was really interesting. And I actually really loved it because I found it extremely inspiring. What do you qualify as an adventure? And why is it important to living a better, more fulfilled life? Have two of yeah, these. so a big adventure I'm defining as something that takes like three to four hours, so about half a weekend day. And a little adventure can be something just, you know, an hour or less. It could happen on a lunch break, could happen on a weekday evening, but just something a little bit out of the ordinary, something memorable. And the idea is many of us can wind up with these very sort of routine days. The days all kind of look the same. Uh, You know, you get up in the morning, you get people going, you work, you come home, you eat dinner, like, you know, you get kids to bed. If you have kids and you watch TV, you go to bed, you do it again. And the days kind of bleed into each other and whole years can disappear into these memory sinkholes where there's nothing that makes time stand out from each other. And routines are great. Like I like routines. That's how we can make good choices automatic. But We want to make sure that we're not so beholden to the same routine that life becomes uninteresting. So this is how we can achieve a good balance. Every week, have two adventures, one big adventure, 
one little adventure. This does several good things. I mean, first, it makes you think about what you want to do with your time, right? So you're on the on the hunt for adventure. <laughs> like you're like, oh, you know, you see an advertisement for a cider festival at your local orchard. Like in the past, you might have like, oh, whatever, what is that? But now that you know you need an adventure, you're like you might write it on your calendar as something you might do in the future. Or if, you know, somebody says, hey, there's that new sculpture park in that, you know, garden down two miles away. We should look at it sometime. You're like, hey, how about Wednesday when, you know, I'm off work early and we could go do it. So you start looking for adventures and you start making more memories because when you go do something, you generally have a good time. I mean, you know, it's, it's like most most things we choose to do are pretty enjoyable or else at least, you know, you get a good story out of it. But you kind of also change your perception of yourself. Like you become the kind of person who does cool stuff. Like you're the person who has an answer in the, you know, people say on Monday, what did you do over the weekend? Talk adventures your adventure, your adventure right like you know nothing oh, I cleaned out the garage <laughs> well I love this for creative people too because it's like constantly inspiring yourself you know you're going to the cider mill you're going to a marble carving factory like whatever it is I love the idea that you're going and putting yourself in the way of things you don't normally see that could inspire you and to your point create memories so, yeah, I mean, you need inputs too. And, and it's hard to get inputs when we're just like sitting in our jammies at home. And I like sitting in my jammies like anyone else, but you know, you can sit in your jammies six nights a week, <laughs> just, you know, do it for five nights, I guess, just have two adventures at some point other than that. Right. I think too, it's like during COVID, we got so used to not having adventures that it's hard sometimes. It feels daunting to incorporate them back in, but it's so important because I notice, like when I'm just sitting in my jammies seven nights a week, I do start to feel dull and sort of dead inside. So this is to take away the deadness inside. Exactly. Exactly. And I would say though, even in COVID lockdowns, there are still adventures. People oh yeah. Could, you know, yeah, yeah. it's, it's like I did this study partly during, you know, some people were under lockdowns at different points of the study. I mean, people did things like, create a giant game of shoots and ladders with chalk on their driveway Fun. Right? or like go build a little bridge over a Creek in the woods, you know, try takeout from a new restaurant. They would stream a concert from a band that they like, but of course I've never been to a concert of, but in zoom, Hey, you can see anything and stream a concert. Like there's still things you can do. So even if you're broke, like, even if you do need to be near your house for whatever reason, there's often still ways you can have adventures. It's more of a mindset than anything else. An adventure mindset. I love it. So speaking of which, to have an adventure mindset, that can be with taking one night for you, right? So each week, take an evening or equivalent number of hours from family and work responsibilities to do something that makes life feel meaningful and fun. Why is this important and how does it look in action? Yeah. So, I mean, it can become very easy to feel like we're always doing work and family responsibilities. You know, the busier people are, the more they feel like they are spending all their time on these things. And yet, you know, we might feel tired, but what it is, it's not that we're exhausted necessarily per se, it's that our brains need something different. Mm -hmm. We need to, you know, have something in our life that is just for us. What I'm talking is making a commitment to something that you truly enjoy. And the reason to make it a commitment is that you'll go like you'll go uh, even when life is busy. So, for instance, you know, you might be a lawyer with a family and you decide I'm going to play in a string quartet. Like I used to love playing the viola. I'm going to find a string quartet. and I'm going to play. And 
you have to go. If they have rehearsals on Tuesday nights at seven o'clock, you need to be there because otherwise it's a string trio. Like you have to go. <laughs> um, so even if life is busy, like you tell your colleagues, look, I'll cover for you Monday, but you got to cover for me Tuesday. Like your kid asks you to drive them to the mall at 630 on Tuesday. You're like, sorry, I've got my string quartet. I'm going to, we'll do it tomorrow. But you know, if you didn't have something that was a regular commitment, you could let all those other things get in the way. You'd be like, oh, well, I'm going to take, and this is what I tell people are like, oh, I'm going to take one night for me by taking a bubble bath. And I'm like, well, that's great. I like <laughs> people to take bubble baths if they wish to take bubble baths, but your bathtub isn't going anywhere. Like you can do this whenever, you know? Yeah. And so if your kid wants you to drive her to the mall, you're like, well, you know, what excuse do you have not? Like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're I have a bubble it. bath to get to. I have a bubble bath to get to. Or they're like, well, we need you to work late at work. Oh, well, you know, my, my bubble bath is waiting. <laughs> like, you won't do it. It sounds ridiculous to say, but even if like you, in your mind, like you won't let yourself do it. Whereas if it is that there are three other string players waiting for you to show up, like the bar for missing it is a lot higher. Yeah. And I love what you said in the book, too. When people feel overcommitted, it is generally because their calendars are packed with lots of things they don't want to do. And this is one of the hardest things for people to get their heads around. I am actually telling busy people to put more stuff in their life. And some people are like, I don't want anything else in my life. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know if that's true. I think you don't want the stuff that you don't want. And I think you should get rid of that. But I think that there is something that you love. I mean, it was some extracurricular activity you did in like high school or college or as a young adult. And I think that that deserves to be in your schedule for an hour or two a week and that, you know, you should make everything else kind of bend around it. Agreed. Batch little things. This one was also very helpful to me because I don't know why I find like calling my insurance company or paying bills or doing expense reports abnormally painful. Like it actually hurts me and I like have to really baby myself through it. But it's interesting because just the other day I was like, you know what? I'm just going to spend an hour doing these things. And I got four of them checked off my list and it felt so much better. So batch little things. That's what it is, right? Yeah. So it's tasks like that. It is calling your insurance company. It's making an appointment. It's paying bills. It's returning invitations. It's, you know, anything along those lines. And, you know, if you're not careful, it feels like we are always spending time doing these things. Like if they're all over your schedule, it's like, oh my, I'm never getting to do real work. I'm never getting to relax and have fun because I'm always calling the insurance company and I'm always making appointments and I'm always returning books to the library or whatever else it is that you are doing. So by batching the little things, it does two things. I mean, one is it forces some prioritization. Like if you have 90 minutes in which you need to tackle as many of these tasks as possible. And like one of them is, let's say, buy a birthday gift for something. Like you're not going to look at the entire universe of birthday gifts. Like you're going to choose something and just like do it, right? You know, so it forces some prioritization and efficiencies. But even more important, by having a time for all these things, you keep them from being an option during the rest of your life. So if you have carved out time for creative work, on Thursday morning, and you are kind of sitting with it. It's hard. The work isn't really coming. You're not really feeling it. But you know, so like, what people often do is they're like, "I'm going to go call my insurance company. <laughs> I need to do it. I need to do it. Really, I have to do it." It's like, well, you know, you didn't have to do it right then, but you didn't want to sit with the difficult work. Um, you wanted to cross something off the list to give yourself that easy win. So by telling yourself, "No, no, no there is a time for that." you kind of force yourself to wrestle with the more difficult stuff. And that is how we make real progress. And it's the same in our personal lives. If you can like, again, have a time for this stuff, like Saturday morning, if you are looking at 
the pile of library books that have to go back. Like, no, no, no. Uh There is a time for that. Now is not that time. I can just relax and enjoy myself. I don't need to worry about it. Okay. I love that one. I think that is also one of my top takeaways from the book. And the final one, effortful before effortless. So do a few minutes of effortful fun before turning on the TV or checking your social media. Why is this important? Yeah. So, you know, when busy people track their time, they tend to find that they do have some quantity of leisure time. It's not as much as we want, but it is some. But the problem is the bulk of it gets spent on these sort of passive leisure activities. And there's reasons for this. I mean, one is that the leisure time tends to occur when you don't have much energy. It's at night after you're done with work or after you put the kids to bed. And so you don't feel like doing anything other than turning on the TV or scrolling around online. Or else it appears in incredibly small chunks, like five minutes while you're waiting for a phone call to start or while you're waiting for you know the Uber to come get you or something. Like, what can you do with this time? I mean, it is leisure but it doesn't really feel like it because it's short and uncertain and you haven't planned for it. So social media fits that really well. And so it winds up consuming kind of the bulk of our available leisure time. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with electronic diversions. I mean, I like stuff, you know, there's a lot of good shows out there, but most of the time we don't want it to be a hundred percent of our leisure time. There's other things we'd like to do too. So I challenge people to take at least a few minutes to do something that is a bit more active leisure. So it could be reading, be hobbies, crafts, puzzles, anything along those lines, texting friends and family, you know, whatever it is you want to do, but something that takes a little bit more engagement and challenge yourself to just do that for, I don't know, two minutes before you switch to the passive stuff. So if you are picking up your phone because you are waiting for your Uber, read an ebook for two minutes and then go scroll around on Instagram. If you have gotten the kids down, do a puzzle for 15 minutes and then start watching Selling Sunset for two hours if you want. (laughs) I don't care. Like, I'm not, I'm not here to like, you know, harangue anyone about it. But by flipping that automatic order of doing the effortless thing first, you make space for effortful fun. And, you know, often it feels so good that you keep going. Like, you know, you read two minutes in a good book, you're not going to stop. You're going to go read the rest of the time until your Uber gets there. But even if you do, stop after three minutes. Like we do this so often that you might literally wind up reading for an extra 30 minutes in the day just by flipping that automatic flow of activities. Yeah. And I bet you have less of a desire to go towards social media if you know every time you're going to have to put in the effort. If you truly don't want to put in effort to like have fun, then you're going to be less likely to like try to get to social media. Maybe you just want to sit there. You <laughs> Maybe know. you just want to sit there, which would be totally yeah. fine. I feel like people should spend more time staring at the clouds. It's generally a more restorative thing to do than looking at, you know, influencers and matching outfits with their children or something. Yeah. I recently had a guest who said, let yourself be bored. And I thought that was the most brilliant call to action because I never let myself get bored anymore. I'm yeah. always occupied. And I think letting yourself have a little silence is really important to the creative process and just having some peace. Also, I have to say Duolingo is a great thing for this one. Like mm-hmm. I started doing that and I noticed over the past week I spent like an hour and 10 minutes on Duolingo and it does, it adds up. I'm speaking Italian. Up. Yeah, that's great. And so you learned some new words. Yes. Okay. You have been so amazing. Thank you for sharing so much. Again, the book Tranquility by Tuesday. We should all get tranquil on a Tuesday because it's the hardest, <laughs> most normal day. But I wonder before I send you on your way to do your next task, 
Is there one productivity myth that you'd really like to dispel? Well, so I mentioned this one in the book. There's a theory out there, the two-minute rule. Oh, yes. if, If a task will take just two minutes, you should do it whenever you first encounter it rather than putting it off. And on some level, it makes sense because if you do have to do the task, like pulling it back up a second time might take the full two minutes, right? Like it seems to make sense. But the problem is it almost never works this way in practice. I mean, one... Many times those two minute tasks are in fact like 10 minute tasks or 20 minute tasks. Like people are horrible at time estimation. Like, oh yeah, I can do that in two minutes. You can't. Um, (laughs) It could also be that, you know, it will send you down some other rabbit hole, right? Like you're like, oh yeah, I can just respond to my colleague with two minutes. She just needs that one number. I'm just going to go respond to her, even though I was working on this other thing. It only takes two minutes, but then you're in your inbox after you send that email and you're like, ooh, there are other messages here. Let me just go open those. And next thing you know, it could be 30 minutes, an hour that you took away from what you are doing. So if a task comes to you and you are doing something else, like just write it down on a list and get to it later, like make a later list, like that you're going to do once you're done with your focused work or your relaxation or whatever it is. Life interrupts us so often. I think we really shouldn't interrupt ourselves. Mm, So good. That's a good quote. And then I love the other thing you said, life isn't lived day by day. I don't know why, but that really struck me. What did you mean by that? Oh, well, I think what I was, I think what I was getting at here, yeah. uh, if I think what the right thing here is that, you know, we have these ideas of our lives, like the things that are in a good life, right? Like it might be yeah. a good job and it might that you have a family and you have a nice house or whatever else it is. But the problem is our actual happiness comes from our hour by hour experience. And so if you are waking up too early to commute too far from the nice house to the good job, like you're going to be unhappy about it. If you're spending too many hours at the good job in meetings and dealing with your inbox and like, it's all very tedious, you're not doing the stuff of the job that you like, well, then you're not going to be happy. If you never have time for your own hobbies, because you're dealing with the beautiful house to keep it beautiful, like, you know, then you're not going to be happy. So we need to think about how we spend our hours. And ideally, many of these rules can affect how we spend our hours, like that we start, you know, having more energy and we put in things we want to do and we have hobbies and we have adventures and it just makes life feel entirely different. Well, here's to spending our hours well and having tranquility by Tuesday. Thank you so much, Laura. You are a wealth of knowledge and inspiration. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Laura Vanderkam. For more info on Laura, follow her at L Vanderkam and check out her book, Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters, which will be published on October 11th. It's available for pre-sale now, so go get it wherever good books are found. Make sure to also visit her website, lauravanderkam.com, where you can find her podcasts, her books, her TED Talk, and more. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit this episode of Unleash. You can follow her at Rachie Fulton. Thank you, Liz Full, for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. My wish for you this week is that you try to incorporate at least one of Laura's tips in your life and see if it helps. This stuff for sure doesn't come intuitively to me and maybe it's the same for you, but I can really see how important it can be to living a good life. So at the very least, maybe we, you and I, can both try to notice whether we're making time for the things we love and if not, 
make a date with yourself and put it on the calendar to do something that makes you feel like you and take something away that you just don't like or don't need anymore. I'll do the same. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.